Free Association, that's music from Damon and Naomi. The North Light off of their record, Fortune, and Damon and Naomi are here. Hi. Thank you for being here. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. So uh, Damon is a, a musician and author, and he has a new book out called The New Analog. And it's a great book. I just I just devoured this book start to finish. It was Thank just you. so interesting and such a rich, uh, rich subject. Do you want to talk about before we kind of get into the, the the details of this thing? How did you how did you start to write about this? What did you was there an event that sort of made you think I, I got to get this down? Were you writing essays before this and then decided mm-hmm. I just write a book about it? Or? Yeah, I was writing essays. What happened? It, there was a very specific event which was uh, a royalty check that came from BMI and and Naomi and I were uh, opening our mail and cooking dinner and uh, Naomi opened it up and she said, is this what we're being paid by Spotify? (laughs) It was like one of the first times it had shown up on, on the statements. And uh, I was like, is that possible? And it was, I forget the numbers now, but I mean, what we had gotten was something like 21 cents for, for galaxy 500 for, for our most popular song. And, um, for just wow. tens of thousands of plays, that's twenty-one unreal. cents. For there are three people in that band, right? So that's seven right. cents each. And um, this is so digital. I mean, speaking, my book is called the New Analog, but this is such a digital thing. I tweeted it, and one thing led to another. Pitchfork asked me to write an article about it, and I mm-hmm. did. Wow. And it sort of, I had a kind of a weird. Um, I wouldn't say it went viral. But I had a kind of a two-week period where I got a lot of calls from media all over the world, actually. And it was all based on this crazy thing of the 21 cents, you know, and how little we were paid by Spotify. But what it was was that very few musicians really share uh, financial information. You know, if you start to look, it's it's actually kind of hard to find out. And I think there's there's a number of reasons for that. I think people are... They keep it close to the vest. You see that in a lot of careers. People don't like to share their salaries, you know, because it's it's a private thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as somebody tweets something like that out, it's a shocker. Yeah. You know, yeah. In, in so a it, sense, yeah, right? it yeah. seemed like just a, it was just sort of a banal well, little. I think especially because the number of plays. Oh, that. So out of yeah. proportion to yeah. seven cents. Yeah. Contrasted with the number of plays, contrasted with the monetary. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I, I was forget like, what it was, was like, like. I was like. Am I not reading this correctly? Yeah, it looked yeah. like one of those things that looked like a typo because it was, you know, tens of thousands on one side and then the 21, you know, point two one on the other. <laughs> you know, like, that can't be right. But it turned out it was right, you know. And um, But that's the thing is that these things aren't published anywhere. You, could, you couldn't just, like, Google says, like, well, what do you get paid by Spotify? Actually, Spotify doesn't publish it and doesn't mm-hmm. tell anybody. And so the only way to figure it out was to work backwards from a royalty statement. Oh, I see. So right. I did the math and, I, and then I published this article with Pitchfork. And um, and then other some other musicians started confirming that my math was correct, like like David Byrne, like people with who were making who had bigger numbers right. on both sides of that equation. Right. He's been very vocal about that. He's too, been very vocal about it, right? Exactly. So so that article at Pitchfork kind of like um, uh, turned into a thing. And uh, one thing led to another. I got a call from a book agent in New York. I mean, it really wow. was crazy. This was literally off a tweet, you wow. know. Wow. And um, the agent called me and said, you know, we think you should write a book. And I was like, do you want to, will you talk about it? I was like, sure. You know, no one's ever called me before. I mean, this is a whole career as a musician. I don't know about you, but we've never had the phone ring for us. <laughs> right. It's usually an email or it's, something Well, like no, that, it's right? also the other way around. Like, we pester everybody yeah, else. Right. We're that's like, right, you know, yeah. can we make a record for you? Can we do a play? It's the other direction. Always yeah. oh, the other direction. Yeah, yeah. You're always pushing yeah. to make things happen. And this was like, really? You called me? I didn't ask to write a book and you're calling me. So I went down and had this meeting and, um, you know, they said, we think you should write this book. And I was like, you know, I don't want to write a book about my royalty payments. That's just, I'm not interested enough. And I just don't think that would be an interesting book to read. It's like just someone moaning about, you know, <laughs> I got so few cents. You know, why would you buy that book? Um, and they, so I sort of said no. And this is really wonderful agent named Alex Jacobs in New York. And he said, well, what would you write? You know, I was like, who? Hmm. Well, what would I write? And so that's what the book is. Uh, I really sort of thought, what do you know? What do I really want to research and talk about in this change that we've lived through from records and everything we're surrounded by here at WZBC, uh, all the physical media, and uh, into this online world? Right. And that's something anyone who's my age, more or less, has lived through. And as a musician. 
we've lived through it very, very directly, you know, because our first records were all right. analog. Right. And then, I mean, we, so we were in a band called Galaxy 500, and our first record was 100% analog. And by the third album, which was the last of Galaxy 500, um, it was coming out on CD and it was mixed to DAT. So it was digital. And so, you know, right just in that little bit of time, uh, it swapped. Things weren't online yet, but that came quickly after. And um, everything changed. Very quickly. Very quickly. I mean, quickly enough that, like, my short career straddles that change. So I kind of thought, well, maybe I have something to offer even just as a testimony, you know, because no one's going to live through that again. Right? We're not going back. We're in a digital world here in, uh, here on in. So um, maybe it'll be interesting to people to know, like, what it was like to live through that moment. It's interesting. I, I, I was getting flashbacks when I was reading your book because I remember the first record I got, the first record I bought with my own money was Michael Jackson Thriller. And I remember putting it on the turntable and, and opening that gatefold. You know, he's lying there with the tiger, right? He's got the, he's got the, the you know. And I'm, I'm listening to this thing and I'm, and I'm looking at him yeah. and I'm reading the liner notes and it's, it's that whole world, you know, of listening to that, putting it on the turntable, then walking away from it mm-hmm. and then sitting and, and just, just being lost in this in this world, looking at this this image and and reading through these these liner notes, and I suddenly remembered that when I was reading your book, and I thought, that's gone. Yeah, that is just that aspect of listening to like looking forward to a new record. Mm-hmm. That appears to be gone in some ways. Right? Yeah, also I, the preciousness of that because it was like this one record that you had gotten. It wasn't in this enormous quantity. Right. Yeah. The artifact of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I think that that, you know, of course, there's the whole vinyl revival now. But I think what you're describing also is not just about the um, the format. You're really talking about a whole feeling of how you approached. Right. The what it meant to be to 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 receive that record and to uh, the way that we absorbed them at the time. And that has really changed. I think that's because uh, even now, I th- and I mean, I find myself doing it too. We all just listen to things a lot faster now, right. and I, you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. And uh, I, I, partly just because we have so much access to so many things, uh, but also the world is, has sped up a lot of ways through digital. So anyway, that's that's what. But that's what the book is about. It's like that that experience that you just described really. Um, right. really graphically or poetically is uh, an experience I think that it's worth describing and then it's worth thinking well where did that go and also what what is it about the current moment um, that might be discouraging that what is it in the current moment that we might be missing and we might want to re-import some of that back in right. so the book is very deliberately not a kind of a retro rah um, rah idea, you know. It's right. not. It's not like let's go back to vinyl. That yeah, I so didn't. I, I was curious about when I first started reading. I was curious about what your take on that would be. Is he going to come kind of come across as the luddite who, who you know, is wistful about the old world? And it's really, it's really not that. It's very fair and balanced. And you know, it's interesting. I wanted to ask you both of you. It's like, how how do you listen to music? And I'll tell you how I listen to music. Yeah, and then you can you, tell me how you listen to yeah. music. I listen to music. I have a turntable at home, and I have a car, and I I was thinking about this on my drive here. I don't listen to music on my computer. I either listen to it in the car, or I listen, or I put it on the turntable, and then I walk away from. It. I thought, well, why do I do that? Because I have so much music on my computer. Why don't I listen to it on the computer? And I really had to think about why don't I listen to. It? And then I realized just what you said, which is, if I'm listening to something on the computer, I'm skipping through. I don't have the patience, not to mention the fact that I'm listening to it on a computer. I'm listening to it on a device. Maybe I did my tax returns on. And, you know, it's just this whole thing of fast, 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 you know, move, move, move. If I go and put a, a record on the turntable, I walk away from it. I'm not going to – it's too much effort to go over there if I'm if I lose interest and kind of take the record off and put another record on. So the fact that I've put that record on there, it's like I'm going to commit to this thing, Right. And so that's that's how I listen to music. It's going to be either on this show, mm-hmm. um, or in the car, mm-hmm. or or on that turntable. Right. But I don't really listen to music any other way. Yeah, which well, is it sounds strange. also because I, I would imagine with the computer, like so much of us, so many of us, we listen on headphones when we're listening on the computer. Right. 
And that's something I talk about in the book, because when you put the record on your turntable, you're probably not wearing headphones. You're, you've got it in the house and speakers. Right, exactly. And that's a different experience. And it's a different experience te- technologically, because uh, and I, I have a, a section of the book where I describe this, because headphones separate left and right channel absolutely. And that is different than the way we use our stereo hearing in the natural world, where each of our ears hear the signal at the same time. And that's a, that's a, a quality, a human quality of how we hear that has to do with how we locate sounds, which also means it's how we locate ourselves in space. When you separate your headphones, your left and right signal completely, artificially, like we do with headphones, uh, we no longer have that locational ability engaged with our hearing. So when you, when you put a, a record on in stereo in the house, um, it's more or less engaging the same sense of hearing that we use in the natural world. I see. Yeah, that's a lot different than headphones. I, to me, yeah, it really, yeah, yeah, I find it drastically different. I mean, of course, you know, some people love headphones and they're wearing them all day long, earbuds all day long, and they're obviously very accustomed <laughs> to it. Seen that, I've seen that at work even, people yeah, exactly. wearing them. Especially, yeah, exactly, and, and, you know, here at a school like BC where, you know, students are very accustomed, I think they're finding oral privacy this way from one another, right. and their rooms are arranged that way, the library, their work. And um, it's so convenient, but it's a very different experience of uh, not just music, but sound in general that comes through headphones. Right. And again, with the, with the book, I'm, I'm not, I, I very much didn't want to say, well, don't wear headphones. Um, but I did want to kind of call people's attention to what it means to wear headphones. You know, how that, how, what are you experiencing? Because really, I'm just after a little bit of more awareness for everybody. Right. I mean, the book opens with you walking in, in, in Cambridge Square and seeing a girl on a bicycle and she's she's wearing headphones. And the first thing I thought of is, you're wearing headphones in Cambridge on a bike. That seems right. uh, that seems uh, brave. Uh, but but she falls over. I guess a, a a truck goes by and she falls over, and you and you run up and say, "Are you okay?" And then she says, "She she was just disoriented. Yeah, there was yeah, nothing she, near her. She just fell. Oh, she, there was nothing near her. Okay, no. so she was yeah. just she just pitched she just over. in her own world. Yeah, she right. was in her own world. That's what it was. And right. she said to me, "I was I was completely self absorbed. I was I was." you know, not paying attention, basically, um, to the world around her, which is, of course, what we do with earbuds or headphones. We're creating our own space. And you were describing very well that idea of you create your own space when you would, you know, buy a record, take it home, unwrap it, and, like, you'd be immersed right. in it. That's another version of that kind of immersion. Mm-hmm. So what was interesting to me in throughout the book is thinking about Okay, we we have these kinds of immersion in both these situations, and I, and I go through all kinds of uh, situations in the book where it's not that we've eliminated one, and now we have another, and yet there's different. They're they're different. They're qualitatively different. Uh, the type of immersion that you were describing with the with um, the vinyl and the package was very much. Um, you know, you're entering an artist's world that has all been prepared for you in this particular kind of way. And I think that this this kind of immersion that we tend to have on the street um, through earbuds is is not that. Uh, you don't have uh, a visual component, for one. Uh, it's it's this more related to isolation, uh, oral isolation. That's true. It's audio only. I didn't think about that, right. too. Right. It's audio it's an only. audio world, right. And it's audio that only belongs to what you're pumping in through your iPhone. Right. So it's not mixing with the other sounds in your house or in the world. I mean, because the thing there's that There's no always, context, I guess. There's right? no yeah, context, right, exactly, yeah. Right. Context comes out as quite a theme in the book because uh, time and again, I started to find as I looked more carefully at what these changes might really be about, um, it was over and over again, it was a loss of context from the analog to the digital right. uh, world. Because, and this is the argument I pursue in the book, analog media always include what sound engineers call noise. And what that means is uh, anything that's not the deliberate sound that was intended to be uh, catch our attention, the primary attention. So Anything in the background exactly. should be eliminated, any kind mm-hmm. of sibilance or breath, breathy noises. But I think then you like also um, look at it in other media as well. So not just what we think of as actual noise and sound, but in all the digital media, like in photography or film, it's able to eliminate other what's considered extraneous information. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of noise as any information that 
would be considered extra. Right. And uh, that's exactly right. So it's, the way it's described in by engineers often is signal and noise. Signal is what you're trying to pay attention to or right. trying to highlight, and noise is everything that's in the way. Now, in analog media, you always have both. We call it a signal-to-noise ratio because they're in a relationship with each other. Right. You might be trying to maximize the signal and minimize the noise, but you can never eliminate it. But as Naomi was saying, in, in digital media, and it's not just sound, it's everything, you can actually eliminate the noise. All you have right. to do is identify the signal, and then you highlight the rest and delete it. And we all know what that is. It's a, an operation I think we're all doing all day long, really, on our digital tools. You select and, you know, get rid of the rest. <laughs> select and, and cut. Right? Select and cut. And you cannot yeah. do that in analog media. Right. I mean, you cannot use physically impossible. You can approach it uh, through, you know, the best equipment and the most finely engineered things. Right. Uh, but you're always just getting to a point where, um, well, it was a little bit more emphasized than it was before. Yeah, yeah. You cannot eliminate it, which means that when you receive the analog media, and this would get back to you listening to the Michael Jackson LP, that uh, you still have a choice as consumer or as uh, at the other end of this process of what to pay attention to, right? Mm -hmm. So you brought the LP home. Uh, you could get completely distracted by the, by the gatefold photo. And uh, the music could just recede in the background, really, at that point, right? And, and I'm so illuminated by the photo. Exactly. <laughs> kind of forgot right. what was going on. And, right. uh, but, but in any case, it, it's, it's very much your choice. It's very much in your hands what to make signal and what to make noise at any given moment uh, in analog media. Now, in digital media, uh, most of these decisions have really been made before we get the material. Uh, they've been made by engineers, they've been made by software designers, they've been made by mm. platforms. That's interesting. I didn't think about it from that angle. The, the editors, you've got these editors in front of you that are that are doing all this work. Well, he doesn't want that. She doesn't want that. Yes. She doesn't want that. Right. And by the time you get it, all these decisions have been made. All that's, these decisions have been made. And the decisions have been made uh, to uh, in these very terms. Well, what do they really need and what do they don't right. need? Right. Someone else is making that choice. And that's how we get such efficient digital communications. You know, that's why digital is so cheap or almost free, like the 21 cents from Spotify. And uh, because and why Spotify can have, you know, endless numbers of songs on their catalog, uh, more than a record store could ever stock, mm -hmm. because they've eliminated everything that has been uh, decided for us we don't need. Yeah, I want to get into that thing about uh, Spotify a, a little bit later. But mm -hmm. I, one thing in your book that you that you talked about was this website that I have. I think this this is the website you're talking about. But somebody did, somebody went into Pet Sounds. Oh, I love and, that. And I they, love that page. They, yes, yeah, and yeah. they and they went in and they they found they kind of went through all the tracks and they they have times here, yeah. and they talk about all this stuff that wasn't supposed to happen. And there's <laughs> And and I started reading this, and the first thing on here today says one fifteen. Mike starts singing the chorus too soon. Right. She made me feel, and then someone else says something to make Mike stop. I read that. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. That can't be true. <laughs> and then I played it. Yeah. Let me play this <laughs> you because you you can hear it. Yeah. You can hear it. It's it's amazing to hear that he actually uh, he came in on the chorus too soon. That's great. Let's hear that. Yeah, let's, let's hear. It comes in about a minute minute in. It starts with just a little glance now Right away you're thinking about romance now You know you ought to take it slower But you just can't wait to get to know her A brand new love affair is such a beautiful thing But if you're not careful, think about the pain it can bring It makes you feel so bad that's the first chorus. It makes your days go wrong. It makes your nights so long. You've got to keep in mind love is here. Comes. 
<laughs> it's pretty buried. Right? She made me feel so bad. She made my heart feel sad. She made my days go. This one has the horn players. Yeah, and then it doesn't stop there. Right. There's a bunch of talking in the, in yeah, the that's, instrumental. That's so. the part I heard. Yeah. So, that's, so that's amazing, right? That's he so he actually says yeah. top or he says stop. Yeah, and well, you hear and you hear the the two. I think it's two horn players chatting. Yeah, they're chatting in, in, the, in, the, in the instrumental the, break. In the right. instrumental break, they're just standing in the room. So why yeah. why are they why are they first of all why are they doing that? Secondly, why why didn't they fix that? Well, this is this is the great thing about analog media. It's very hard to fix that, you know. I guess so. And uh, in digital, it's uh, very easy. You can isolate it and eliminate it if you so choose and uh but these kinds of things that are buried in analog records because they were buried in the analog tape because they were happening in the room (laughs) and um the mic was just picking it up and it was it was i you know the other thing is i i doubt they may not have noticed that until it was too late i mean i think that's probably what happened you think they could notice it when it was on lp do you think it's once these things are oh yeah no 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 no. this is a famous example from the lp and but it it gets back to the thing we were talking about that you have the choice of what to pay attention Mm -hmm. to so most of us just listened to that song and heard the tune and all the you know the key elements that to Brian Wilson's brilliant arrangement. And, and now it's part of the song. But then there's some people who are listening <laughs> yeah. just for those voices, and they're like, what is going on back there? And, of course, um, the kind of attention that, um, you know, I grew up paying to LPs, it invited that kind of, uh, that type of listening. Yeah, it's great. It, yeah. It's, I mean, you, you talk about thick listening in the book, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of like really listening to... I, you can describe it better than I can, but really listening to the environment and right. not just the signal. Right, to know. listen through the whole event. Right. Uh, you know, because, I mean, the way that people used to record, I mean, you can still do this, of course, it's just not a lot of people are. I mean, Jack White does, and, you know, well, we do. <laughs> anyway, you, know, you can hear mistakes on our records yeah. if you if you want to. But um, that you put a mic in a room, and then all these things are happening in the room, you know, yeah. and signal and noise. And both go down onto the, onto the tape, and... Um, even if you're doing your best to keep it really clean, things are going to happen. Well, you only have so much tape, too, right? Yeah, and I so mean, Brian you gotta, Wilson, you know, he had a lot of tape. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's an exception. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but even he, you know, he ended up with that kind of thing. And I think it's a combination of they, wouldn't, they might not have cared, they might not have noticed, or they might have picked it up at which point it was too late to correct right. because you'd already mixed things down and you're just not going to go backwards. But I'm sure you agree. I, I love that about the, the song because you're hearing it's it's more human. You're hearing the room. Yeah. It's it's become part of the whole the whole vibe mm-hmm. of that of that uh, that whole record. Or they said that was the best take and like, well, you know. Exactly. That's, that's what I think it is. Yeah. yeah. I think there's like, like oh, that's the best yeah, take. The other takes weren't as good. Sure, so you and we gotta keep moving. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you exactly. live with it. Yeah, it's it's um it's, there's there's a texture to that kind of recording. I mean like the I don't know if you were listening today to the taylor swift song probably uh you know half the globe was taylor swift released a single last night and everybody was talking about it today okay and it's a it's a very um it's a it's a typical digital production uh it's so it's all signal it's like a hundred percent signal right everything in it I mean, this is not a, a a dig at it. It's just that this is the sound. You're talking about the production. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. This is the sound that is most typical now, especially for pop music. But don't forget, Brian Wilson was making pop music. I mean, the Beach Boys were right. pop music. But the, the idea of pop music being um, this kind of people in a room and all kinds of things are happening and you're just trying to make some magic happen in that moment versus this meticulous constructed uh, graph really on a on a computer screen I mean you listen to a single like the new Taylor Swift record and you can he, you it's like I see the graph of the computer image of the song 
from the from the digital audio workstation like flashing before my eyes you don't you don't have a conjured image of a room, no, a studio right, room. Right. They've it, tried to consciously eliminate all of that, all of that environment. Right? It's not yeah. the sound that most people are working with. Again, it's not. It's not saying, oh, one's good, one's bad. But what I really wanted to do in the book was say, those are different. Like, there's a real difference <laughs> going on, and it's not just a fashion difference. Yeah. There's some other very fundamental changes, right. um, because really. It's very, very difficult in the digital medium to work the way that the Beach Boys were working on Pet Sounds. Right. I mean, you, you, you'd have to bend over backwards in so many ways to try and twist the digital tools to do that. And what they're, they're not made to do that. Are you saying even if we wanted to go back and get a sound like that, it would be almost impossible? Yeah, I don't think it's to- impossible, but it's just you have to work really hard to do it. I mean, actually, we record our records in real time, which means, you know, we turn, we're recording to a hard drive, but we turn it on and then we turn it off when we're done. And uh, we don't record to a click track. Uh, We don't use any um, virtual instruments. Uh, We don't use any drum machines. So our time is the time that we play in the room Mm -hmm. and uh, the sounds are the sounds that are picked up by the mics in the room. Now, here's the funny thing about digital. It makes things so cheap and easy, right? But the programs are not made to do that. Like, we, we kind of have to fool the program we use to record us as if it's tape. Mm-hmm, because right. it, it's set up to make loops and to make layers and to, you know, that's right. what it does. That tool is not meant to, to, to do that. No. So that's interesting. And to, right. to make it go the other way and just have, like, a big block of sound, you know, like, if we're going to, yeah. if you're going to do a 10-minute take with multiple instruments in the room, you actually have to have a lot of computer power right. to make that happen with no glitches. Uh, w- but that's just basically the old thing of turning on the tape. And what the computers are powerful for and what they do, this you know incredible layered production that you hear in a lot of pop music now, is built up out of bits and pieces and loops and, and, and signal. Right. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I did a record about 10 years ago with Martin B.C. In, in, in Brooklyn. And at that time, he had no computer. Right. It he was, was all fam- tape. Yeah. It's famously all analog studio, yeah. Right, and he was he was cutting on tape. Mm-hmm. And, and it's I go if I listen to that record, it's a marked difference. Just um, the, the whole sound of that room and the whole environment and the tape hiss, of course, mm-hmm. and everything else is just a whole other world than any of the other records I've done just because I recorded in that studio, just the production alone. But, you know, we were just talking about Rafi Sofer at at Q Division, the engineer that both of us have worked with. And he, we just did a record with him. And every time I do a record with him, he always says, why do you want to do this on tape? Mm. And it's not that he's against tape. It's just that he, I I think he he knows it's a little more work and he wants to know why, which is a valid question. Sure. So I, I always say, well, for two reasons. One, I like the sound of drums on tape because there's a bit of a slapback. That's kind of nice. Two, I like the discipline of it. And that was what, what Martin was, was telling me a lot. He used that word discipline because if I'm doing this on tape, you're not doing more than three takes on a song. Right. You know, because we only have so much tape and then I've got to rewind and, and we need to move on. And I like that aspect. Of it. I don't want to yeah. do more than three takes on a song. No, it's a, it's a different process. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, and that's, again, what I really wanted to explore in the book, is that I think a lot of people have spent time and energy thinking about the audio difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is like, well, what sounds better? That's a whole audiophile thing that I actually don't know all that much about. I that's the Neil Young, Pono Right, thing exactly. I mean, I, I don't think I own a good enough stereo to really make those kinds of judgment <laughs> calls. You know, you need a lot of equipment. Yeah, that's right. You, know, yeah. to, to you need really, a really high end exactly. to be able to make those. Um, but what I do really understand and is is what you're describing, that it doesn't, it's not just about the sound. It's about the process. The process, too. The process exactly. is really different. Right. And it dictate, The tool dictates a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think we're all familiar with that. I mean, if you think about just different programs you use on your computer even, um, you know, push you to to work differently i mean even think about social media platforms it's like mm-hmm. twitter with its artificial con, you know condensation 140 characters is it <laughs> um which came from sms text messaging i think it, that was the standard that they had to stick to um oh is that right I yeah didn't, i didn't know that it, it was, was the max i think that you could put globally like through all the sms it was a standard uh, so they took that SMS standard and then they turned it into this platform. And here we all are, you know, using it for communication, I think, in very creative ways. But the it pushes you in a certain way. And I think, 
you know, then you, you open up Facebook and you're going to be pushed in a different way. And then you open up Instagram, you're going to be pushed in a different way. And these are, these are very familiar to everybody using right. digital platforms. In music, I think it's the same thing. You open up Pro Tools, or I use Digital Performer, which I really like, and is a local company, God bless them, in Cambridge, and it's cheap and it's excellent. Uh, but you open up a digital audio workstation, it pushes you to work a certain way. And uh, when, you, when you don't have that and you worked analog, those machines pushed you in a different kind that's of right. way. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. There's also a, a sense of community, too, because, you know, here we are. We're sitting in a, in a basement uh, radio station here at Boston College, and we're broadcasting live. And, you know, there's maybe a 20-second lag. I know that because people mm-hmm. call, and I can hear what I played 20 oh, seconds right, cool. ago sometimes. Yeah. But really, the people who are listening are, you know, they're listening in, in they're sharing this time with us, mm-hmm. you know, um, real time, um, plus or minus 20 seconds. Um, and I make mistakes. Sometimes I might say something wrong, or I might play two records at the same time accidentally. Sometimes it works. I just go with it. And then, um, you know, I'll go out. This happened a couple weeks ago. I had a show, and I went out to Great Scott the next night, and I ran into a friend, Gavin. He said, hey, I heard your radio show last night. Thanks for playing E. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, um, that kind of community aspect of it is kind of lost now when we're going, when we're talking about podcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to if you go to the Twitter feed for WCBC at the top, it says radio is dead, but we're still dancing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's it's funny, but I think what they're saying is, you know, I think people are listening to radio less because of the podcast, because it's so convenient that, you know, you can listen to a podcast. You know, if you miss this show, you can listen to it in two weeks time or whenever you're whenever you're able to do it. But it's been edited. I'm going to edit out those mistakes. (laughs) And you're not hearing it with us. You know, you're not hearing it in the in the same time. I mean, is that something it seems like that would be another part of it was the sense of community and the sense of shared time and space. Definitely. That that uh, simultaneity, I think, is is something that we took for granted, really, in the analog world, because we had no other nothing to measure it against. Of course, everything was simultaneous. Well, it's not something you talk about in your podcast. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do Nothing talk against about podcasts. Yeah, no, I am making a podcast yeah. now. It's called Ways of Hearing, and, and I do have a whole episode about that, about uh, called Time. And it's about that switch. But, I mean, it, it, it is a really funny thing to have lived through just because um, it's been so fast. But really, truly, you know, if you're younger than me out there and you're listening to this, take my word for it. We had no idea that there was any other way to communicate except in the same moment of time. Right. Um, so, you know, you made a record and the record was kind of like this object that was frozen, but it didn't have this sense of like a podcast does. It sounds like a broadcast or, you know, on TV, mm-hmm. TiVo or however you right. do that you could um, stream on demand uh, the new series that's coming out and see the episodes in a different order oh, yeah, than other people too, right? uh, or see them all at once or whatever. All that kind of flexibility, it's it's it feels just kind of banal in some ways, but on the other hand, it's really changing our sense of time. And so there's there's a there's an aspect to it that I think is not not just um oh how do you like to watch T V, you know, all the episodes at once or one at a time. It's like, okay, that's a pretty like uninteresting problem or question <laughs> yeah. but if you if you if you rephrase that and you really think like well do you want to fool with the with the way time works or do you want to <laughs> let it just tick tick by the way we live and breathe yeah. that's a kind of big deep question right? right and um i think our sense of time is uh uh very altered by by digital media and and this is what i go into yeah. in the podcast which is that Again, this is similar to what I was saying about our digital recording tools. It's very hard to get digital media to play simultaneously. That's the hardest thing to do in digital. Mm, Again, it right? takes tremendous computing power to even approach simultaneity. Um, so in digital recording, I go into length at this, of the, about this problem in both the book and in the podcast. There's, a, there's this latency, like you were describing about the broadcast being 20 seconds back. I suspect that's for a different reason than what I'm about to describe. But in, when you're in the studio and you're, and you're making overdubs, like Pet Sounds is a, is a record with lots and lots of layers of overdubs. So those horn players that were chatting, uh, they weren't there at the same time in the studio as um, necessarily, you know, Mike Love singing the chorus at the right. wrong moment. Um, those are two different sessions. And Brian Wilson layered them on top of each other. 
Now, that's a that's a studio trick that we've been used to since multi-track recording started in yeah. the 60s. Um, but here's the weird thing in digital. When you overdub in digital, that when you, you listen to one track and then you add another sound on top of it, it doesn't automatically line up at the same moment. Now, tape it always did because physically it was just going down to the same bit of tape. It couldn't be misaligned. Right, right. The same actual physical location, physical location on, the, of, on the tape. Exactly. Yeah, right. It had to line up. That's interesting. But yeah. in digital terms, there's a lag introduced by the processing power of your computer. So as you're playing, say you're, you're, you're singing over, a, you play a guitar, and then you loop it back and you listen to it and you sing on top of that. Now, as the sing, you're hearing the guitar off the computer, then you're singing into a mic, and the sound of the mic is being converted to a digital signal and added to the digital right. recording, right? The time it takes the computer to do that pushes it behind the guitar right. track. You end up coming up with a lag between your overdubs. And if you're not aware of it and you don't do something to correct it, your timing gets all screwed up. Right. And I hear records now all the time wow, that's where things don't line up. I can hear, I don't think... You that, hear that, huh? I hear it a wow, lot. That's I mean, I'm a drummer... By sort of by trade, so like, you're more attuned to it in, in that sense. I'm, I might be hypersensitive to it, um, but I hear it a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. At first, I just thought, like, have drummers getting so much so bad? Like, what's going on? Like, nobody's in the pocket. And then I started to, when we was recording at home. I was like, oh my god, I'm losing it. You know, like I'm not in the pocket. And then I started looking into it more carefully, and I'm like, no, That's the lag. I'm like right. 70 milliseconds off every wow. hit. Because that takes my computer, my particular computer and my particular setup at home right. is 70, I think it's 73 or something. I measured it 70 milliseconds off. So I have to rejigger all my overdubs oh my and push them wow. 70 milliseconds to get everything to line up in the pocket the way I just played it in the room. You know, that's right, just so right. weird. That is really weird. Now, yeah. when you listen again to go back to the Taylor Swift thing, you listen to that. The, all the rhythms are locked to a time code in the machine, so they're not falling apart in lags because mm -hmm. there are no analog sounds going into that system. That's interesting, right. So then what we get are these machine rhythms that are locked together, but they're not the same as being in the pocket. You know, mm -hmm. I really, I mean, I, here I will dig at that track. It's produced by uh, that guy Jack Antonoff, and I, I think it's just so um, boring rhythmically. Um, She's the most interesting in it, as she usually is in her own music. She's um, singing, and she's singing with some flexibility and, and interest to her voice. But the, uh, the rhythm track, I just found so dead and mechanical. But it's, it's very typical of digital production right now. And I think the one reason is it's so easy to do yeah. in digital tools. It's actually very hard to get a drummer in there and really get it you're in the You're fighting pocket. against the tool, in you a are, sense. You but you're, you're really fighting against what the tool was meant to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What the yeah. tool excels at are you know these incredibly dense rhythms that you can hear in a lot of right. great hip-hop production right now. It excels at that because you can keep going, right. and it locks it all together magically you know, because it's this artificial right. thing. But, but trying to actually play a drum track, a, a, a you know, a live drum track. It's not is, easy. Yeah, it's right. not it's easy. And if you read, uh, you know, magazines where engineers are being introduced, they're worrying about this all the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why I really admire, I mean, there are beautifully produced records right now in, uh, in every genre. Right. But when I hear them now, the digital records that are really, really well made, uh, to me, it catches my ear because right. it's becoming a little bit of an exception in terms of when they're working with, with live musicians. Right. But if you listen to like a Beck record or Jack White or someone who's really fussing and working with very top-notch top engineers, um, the stuff sounds incredible. You know, right. it's not like we've lost the ability to do that. But we, here we all are sort of recording ourselves because that's the great power of digital. It's cheap. We can all have a studio. We have a studio in our house because of digital. Flexibility of it. Yep. Yeah, and, the and it's so inexpensive. Um, but at that level... It's very hard to work with live instruments. That's really interesting. Yeah. So the, the the another thing in your book that's interesting is the media. Um, you know the. Let's talk about real estate for a second. I mean, you're sitting here. You can see how packed this studio is. Was yeah, just packed with CDs. And yeah. then if you go into the the vinyl library, I was just mentioning to you, you can't even fit a record into the shelf because it's so packed. Just, and like, my, just, like, just like our house. <laughs> yeah, that's the way my house is, too. <laughs> that's and what floors are for, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. floors are for. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a little empty space. But it's like, yeah. what am I supposed to do about that? You know, there, there's, there's the real estate aspect of it. And, and, then there's, and then there's the great interesting thing about when I was reading another interesting aspect of it is 
the 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 uh, credits. There's a petition going around that's saying let's let's put album credits on Spotify streaming. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 amazing to think about, and it didn't really hit me until I read your book. We don't know the musicians. Yeah. On a song. Yeah, or even the songwriters. Uh, on, that is just, if you think about it, mm-hmm. that is outrageous. I agree. <laughs> I, mean, I agree. It's amazing. It's just outrageous. Yeah, I've been doing some research on that. And we're, you know, it really started with Napster, um, which started just down the street at Northeastern. And Napster was a file sharing for music. It was the first thing right. that allowed us all to grab stuff off off the internet. It was fantastic. I was, I was very pro Napster. You know, I went on and found like Robert Wyatt bootlegs. This was like 90s. 99. 99, okay, yeah. And um, it was the first moment where we had this sort of like just this endless depth of of music suddenly available and for free. Uh, But because it was online and they were working with, uh, you know, trying to squeeze as much bandwidth as they could out of of the tools, there was very little information attached to anything. Uh, Uh It just had title. Often the title was in a kind of a code or a shorthand. Um, And I think the size of the file. Now... The record label sued Napster and put the, put it out of business, and then that was I, RIAA exactly. Sued. And then uh, iTunes started up in in its in its wake. Right. So that's uh, what I was going to ask you: is how how did RIAA get away with suing Napster? Napster went out of business, but iTunes was able to continue. Right. What what's behind that? The record labels uh, were. I don't know how much of a choice they really felt they had, but they were on board with Apple because Apple said, we'll, we'll pay you something. You okay. Know, 99 right. cents a track. That's right. Apple Napster charged. wasn't doing that. Napster was totally free. Right. Uh, and so the, the record labels thought, okay, this is, this is a digital thing. At least we can work with. And it's Apple. They trusted a giant corporation instead of a, a freshman at Northeastern. So um, there was a switch. But iTunes stepped into that space that Napster created. And what's really interesting, I was just watching, there's a documentary about Napster called Downloaded. I recommend, and um, the it, there's there's a scene in there where a bunch of the programmers who worked on Napster when it grew a little bit bigger, they're talking about how when they saw iTunes come out, they recognized their own code. Oh, right? is that right? So wow. Apple basically just took Napster. You know, they added the price. Right, that wasn't on Napster. But they didn't add anything else. They could have added everything at that moment, right? They could have added artwork. They could have added all right. the credits. They could have added all the songwriters. I mean, who's to, you know who's to stop Apple? Right. Look at all the magic things they do. And why why not? I wonder. I you know I think there was nobody. It was of nobody's interest. It was this idea that simplicity over information. well, it's this thing back to the signal and the noise. It was engineers were deciding what would be oh, the signal yeah. for right. us, for all right. of us, for music, and what would be the noise. And they decided, well, credits, who reads the That's credits? Noise. Who reads the credits on the back of the record? It's just cluttering up our interface, right? It's just making the page look messy. Right. It's which, making it harder to navigate. Which makes sense because Apple is all about simplicity of design. Exactly. It goes back to what you're saying before is the editors are coming ahead of you and making decisions for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I mean, That's Apple's a, Apple's a really interesting example because I think we benefit so much from that right. judgment of theirs. You know, we have these beautiful tools. You you have a, a an iPod here in the studio, which is so great. <laughs> which is now end of life. It, it is, yeah. but the iPod was a great it is, device. Yeah. And the iPhone is an amazing device. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're all devoted to these brilliant designs that they've come up with. Yeah. But of course, they've, they're, they're brilliant in part because of everything they eliminated. And with music, they'd made a decision right away. We'll, we'll let all that fl- go. So they grabbed everything back from Napster, but they didn't grab back any of the credits <laughs> or the artwork. So, you know, this is very uh, obvious mm-hmm. to me and Naomi often when we're playing shows because we'll, we'll, we like to play cover songs. And uh, we have cover songs that are sort of incorporated in our, they're on our records and they're incorporated in our live show. And the thing is that now that people encounter our music for, the, for online instead of on our physical records, they don't know that those are covers. And we know that because they'll come up and say, I love that song you wrote, <laughs> Song to the right. Siren. And we have yeah. to say, that's by Tim Buckley. And of course, if you bought our record, you would know it's by Tim Buckley because we wrote it so right. clearly. But they're seeing title and, and they're band seeing title name and, and that's, artist. That's it. Damon Naomi, Song to the Siren. I love that song. It's like, yeah, it's a beautiful song. I didn't write it. Wow. But thank you for listening to our version of it. It's a cover version. <laughs> you might want to check out Tim Buckley. <laughs> yeah, and checking out Tim you Buckley. You need to get out more. <laughs> right, but also, I mean, as Naomi says, that that was a key way that we learned about other music. And that's also one right, of the reasons. Right, it's true. You, know, would, you would say, like, oh, what is the song? Oh, who are these people? They, they covered the song. Who are these people they covered the song by? And right. then you would go. You'd go find it. I mean, that's I know, interesting, yeah. yeah. that And that takes you to something else, and that takes you Absolutely. to something else. Absolutely, that's, that's how interesting. Of course, yeah. I mean, I mean, you do 
do that on the internet, but it is interesting that it's in a different way and it's a more deliberate search. Well, I mean, yeah, hyperlinks are, are from the very beginning a, a very like uh, coded into the whole idea of the internet, and yet. Here's a version of hyperlink that we had in analog space that is not being reproduced. It's one that we've lost, which is through the credits to music, very specifically. And the credits to music, you learn so much. Yeah. You right. know, you and you also learn how records are made by other people. Because it's only when you see all mm-hmm. the people involved in those right. credits that you start to understand, oh wait, you know Although maybe now there are a lot of people that are making records by themselves and without because of the computer. That could be too. Well, sorry to keep going back to this, but it is the is the news of the day. Okay, to go back to the Taylor Swift song. <laughs> okay, so this Taylor Swift song drops at the midnight. You know, no information. People go immediately hunting for what they can find, and what they find online is that it's credited to um, to uh, Taylor Swift, the producer Jack Antonoff, and three other names. And people are like, who are these co-songwriters? You look it up. It's that band that had a one-hit wonder uh, in the early 90s called, um, uh, not Right On Fred, Right Side Fred? No, not Right right, right Thing Fred? Right Red Fred right, or something right like said that. Fred, yeah. Right Said Fred. Right Said Fred. Right Said Fred. Right Said Fred. It came from their song. Their band name came from a novelty song from the uh, early 60s, I think it was, mm-hmm. a British novelty song. And they had that song that, Everybody knows either through parody or through some other thing. It's like I'm too sexy for That's my shirt. Right, yeah, right. I'm too sexy for this. I'm too sexy for that. <laughs> okay, so in Rolling Stone today, uh, you know, this is of course our media moment. Everything comes out within hours of the information. They track down Rice said Fred, and they're like, "Why are your names on this thing? Did you co-write a song with Taylor Swift?" And they're like, "No." They got a call a week ago, a business, music business call, saying. There's a well-known female singer who is working on a song that has a resemblance to your song from the from the early 90s and uh, we'd like your permission uh, to use to use that oh, we'll see. add you right. as songwriters but we can't tell you who it is and we won't play you the track yes or no right jeez <laughs> oh, so i mean i know what i would say i'd say yes of course you know and they said yes and they didn't hear the song until everybody else wow, did. Wow, interesting. So they wow. heard the song yesterday, too. And did, they're like, they, oh, it's Taylor Swift. Did they like it? Well, they're delighted, <laughs> as would I be if I were yeah. suddenly co-songwriter on a Taylor Swift song, <laughs> because uh, that is like one of the last ways you get paid. Right. Um, but uh, what a crazy story, right? So this is... He had this, no idea until it was released. Uh, according to Rolling Stone, amazing. yeah. According wow. to an interview, they called them up in England. It's two brothers mm-hmm. who were in that band. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's it's just an amazing story yeah, to me, but but it, this is how debased the kind of whole concept of credits has become. I think because they didn't co-write the song, they they were just trying to forestall a lawsuit <laughs> right. to sue them for having swiped. Those two guys weren't with, sitting in a room with Taylor Swift writing. No, writing they didn't even tell them who it was. <laughs> I mean, that to me is the craziest part of the story. You get a phone call and they're like, "It's a well-known famous singer, a female singer," but I can't tell well, you. How who? about that Jimmy Smith record you play on? Oh, well, this is another version of digital weird information. Yeah, according to um, All Music, at least the last time I noticed, I uh, I played on this uh, Jimmy Smith record. Uh, I I was I played I played drums uh, for this jazz organist, uh, which would have been a great honor had it been true. But of course, the great Blue Note, yes, yeah, organist, yes, yeah, yes. Right. and of course I didn't. Um, but. Uh, this was called to our attention. This was some years ago. We were on tour in Brazil, and uh, we were doing one of those days where you're sort of like it was like a press day, and we had like a bunch of interviews in a row, and they sort of come in the room, and every time the next person came in, first question, tell me about Jimmy Smith. <laughs> It was it was but like the most mystifying thing. That's I was interesting. Like, Damon Krukowski is not yeah. that popular of a name. That, no, and it's not like you're John Brown and yeah. you would expect to and see if that. If you're going to type that out, you got to really think about it, yeah. right? It's like hard to spell, and you know, it's like not a typo people make every day. So, 
what it turned out, I mean, I had to work backwards. Like, why has everyone, every journalist in Brazil that, that is interested in interviewing us decided I played on this Jimmy Smith record? So this is the most <laughs> bizarre situation. Traced it back. It was on all music. And I guess it was a tool that they were all using in Brazil for information. So they were getting background information. Who's this band from America? I'll find out. Oh, look at that. This is interesting. Let's ask you know, about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a bizarre course, thing. Right. So I got home, and naive as I was at the time about digital things, I wrote all music, right? <laughs> I was like, there's a mistake. You probably want to correct it. Yeah. And it's still there. It's still there. Yeah, of wow. course. Of course, wow. it's still there. That's, and you'll, th- that's a mystery. We'll never know why your name ended up on uh, you that. You know, my, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, the day that one of our albums was being cataloged was the day that this Jimmy Smith album was being cataloged <laughs> on CD. And it was like just like in the stack. I mean, right. that's the only thing. I can think, or, or cut and paste. Someone still had my name. They couldn't spell my name. So they had copied it from elsewhere. Oh. And then it was sitting in there, in their, um, what do you call it in the computer when you have the thing sitting there in your, the scratch, scratch board, whatever it's called. It's sitting there in your cut and paste command. And then he hit command V and up yeah, pops That's probably it. what it was. Yeah. And that, that was the other thing you mentioned too in the book that was kind of interesting was the, the concept of time. You know, there may be a, a, a re-release of Jimmy Smith that was recorded, you know, 30 years ago, at the oh. same time a Damon and Naomi record came out. Oh, yeah, and, and, t- and talk about... <laughs> the year is the same. Talk about it. Spotify again. Why can't they get the release dates right? Yeah. Why do they have to put the CD... You know, the, you'll have you'll have records released after people are dead only because the CD had a print date right, on it. Right, right. That's like, very confusing to people. It's so yeah. confusing. If you want to go back and listen to someone's work and understand how they developed, how they changed... Is it so hard to get the years of original yeah, I don't, release? I don't understand that. It's just so this lazy. Really but it's one of those things where, again, the decision has been made for us, and this is how the decision goes. And it's not like any of us have any kind of power to change that kind of right. thing. So this is another kind of interesting thing. You were talking about spatial. And I didn't know this until I read your, your book, is that you, you said that you continually, um, a human being continually gets better at he- locating mm. until they're into their 40s. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I didn't Isn't know that. that. I know it's I, that old, really. I think it's thirties, but it is. It's really late. So it was pretty late. Yeah. Right? That, so that's about the way that we pay attention to sounds, one among many sounds. So a classic example, um, which as you get older is an is an unavoidable one, is when you're in a crowded restaurant. It can be very hard to pick out one sound among all the sounds in the restaurant. Right. And, you know, older people are always complaining about this. Because they can't talk about to About having a conversation, conversation at the right. table. Right. They can't pick out the voice right. among the rest of the noise. Right. So you're trying to have a conversation with someone at your table, but all the other conversations in the room are somehow equal to the one at your table. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we're all familiar with this if you've ever been with an older person or someone who's having some hard of hearing situation uh, at a crowded restaurant. It's very difficult for them to hear the conversation at the table. At the other end of our lifespan, when we're young, it's the same thing. So if you think about kind of when we were all teenagers or or even younger, it's even easier to think about how it's hard to get the attention of a really young person, right, sometimes. That's right. Like their attention's being pulled in all these directions. There are all kinds of biological reasons for this, but among them is is our sense of of hearing. And what it is is that it's the same skill – that uh, is lacking at both ends of the spectrum there Mm -hmm. of our age. And what it is is it's our ability to locate sounds in space through our stereo hearing and to isolate that one we want to pay attention to as opposed to all others. Um, And it's it's very slow developing, so we don't get really good at it until we're in our 20s and it continues to get better in our 30s. I don't know if that's why we go to college and at that age is when we can finally pay attention to, to a <laughs> professor. I'm not sure. But it's kind of at that moment is when you start to really get that's good amazing. at that. Uh, and then it deteriorates um, pretty, you know, pretty, pretty seriously when you get to be like my age um, and, and then as you get older. So that that's one of those weird aspects of the way hearing doesn't just have to do, say, with how we hear music. It has to do with how we relate to one another. Because what we're really talking about is how do we exchange information, right. like one to one or in a crowd? Siri, if you're using uh, Siri or now, you know, Amazon has that that thing that they sell you to have put in your right. house and do the same thing. If you're going to give vocal instructions to one of these devices, 
the device has to know which direction your voice is coming from as opposed to all the other devices. So it's, it's the same problem as the crowded restaurant. If there's a bunch of voices happening in the room, how does it know which is the one commanding it to do I see. things? That's interesting. So they had to build in essentially stereo hearing for the device because the device needs to locate your voice. Oh, interesting. So if you right. think of, say, doing a conference call, for example, it needs to know which direction is the voice it needs to pay attention to. And then it beams, they call it beam forming. So it's beaming in on that direction as the signal. And then it's eliminating the sound from the other directions as the noise. I see. So we're back to that principle again that's of signal and noise. And that's how these devices are getting better and better at... Um, performing like as a speakerphone or as a conference call or uh you can talk on those things you know mm -hmm. um in a crowded restaurant and it's it's it'll work yeah Yeah. the other thing yeah exactly because it's isolating the sound so i mean one of the thing i I don't remember if i kept this in the book i certainly had maybe it's in the book i certainly had it in a draft which is that you know if you're having trouble hearing your dinner partner at a crowded restaurant call each other on your cell phone right because your cell phones are going to isolate your voice and eliminate all the noise around it and you and your dinner party will have no problem communicating. That's that's amazing yeah. to think about. Well, thanks for coming in. The, the book is fantastic. Thank uh, you the new for analog. reading it. Yeah, yeah, the new analog available everywhere in um, analog and digital space. <laughs> in both analog and digital. Yeah, it's it's you know there's actually an audio book of it if you're into that on audible.com. Are you reading that? I am. I oh, had wow. to I had to audition. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. they wouldn't let In fact, they said no. <laughs> They hire actors for this. You couldn't even read your own book? Yeah. Wow. And I said, no, I really want to. And, um, you know, I had the publisher uh, ask, and uh, Audible, which is owned by Amazon, by the way, said, uh, well, it's it's more efficient for us to do with actors because, you know, you never know what you're getting with the authors. So they made me send an audition tape. Wow, that's funny. But I passed the audition. So I do read it myself. But here's the funny product. Just in the mail, this arrived the other day. So it's it's out there on Audible if you if you want to do that. But then they sent me this thing and it's a CD with the MP3 files from Audible burned to it and put into a like a plastic jewel case. Huh. And that's another product they make. And wow. I was like, what is that? That's like the rematerialization of a digital format. That I just think that I don't get that at all. I don't get that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who buys that? Like as if it's like I want the online experience, but I want it packaged in the thing that we all got rid of. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, that's weird. Yeah. Anyway, but buy the paper. Go to Harvard Bookstore. Or go to Brookline Booksmith. Or the go. book's great because it's got all those great um, photos and stuff. It's really Thank interactive. You for saying, I love that. The illustrations yeah. were very important yeah. to me, and um, I worked really hard to get really fun, cool illustrations. There's a great really portrait of LL Cool J in there that I had to pay for. <laughs> So, so I, I, the the illustrations came straight out of me. So please, Good. yeah, enjoy yeah, them. And great. the podcast is still going on. Oh, the podcast I should plug if you don't. The mind. podcast is great. Yeah, plug, thank you. So the that. podcast is is through Radiotopia, which is an amazing distributor of podcasts that's based here in in Cambridge, in fact. And um, they've started a new thing, and uh, mine is the first, and it's called Showcase. So to find my podcast, you have to you have to any podcasts are free. You go to any podcast service, Apple's, any of them, and um, you type in Showcase from Radiotopia. And Showcase is going to be a, a, it's a new series that they're launching of limited series podcasts. So instead of podcasts that will have like episode 156, uh, this is just uh, a short run. Mine is um, six episodes. Six episodes. Right. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. Six episodes. And three of them are out. And uh, they're really good. I, I really enjoyed you. enjoyed them. They're very very. Are you producing those too and putting editing? Those I'm co-producing. Part? I have okay. a wonderful sound designer, yeah, he's Ian great. Koss. Yeah, he's a musicologist at BU, and a great producer named Max Larkin, who comes out of public radio, uh, works for BUR, and these are pros. Yeah, and you can I, really I hear real, it. In yeah. The, yeah, the the production of it. Is yeah, incredible. I'm the neophyte. You know, I'm the talent. That's you know they sometimes call me talent, <laughs> which is amusing to me. So, but uh, I've never really been in that situation before. I don't think of being um, quite so naive about the format in a way. Um, but I've learned a lot. I love it. It's a combination of radio and you know live radio, and then this kind of very um, worked, almost radio play like uh, texture. And we really work hard at it. So yeah, they're very it. tight. They're very packed with information. And I think they're really fun. I'm going to leave you with a. 
Galaxy 500 song. Excellent. And the, the, the reason I thought of this song was this song actually has what we were talking about, one of these background noises. In oh, it. right. Yeah, and what? it's oblivious. Oh, gosh. At the end of oblivious. Oh, I don't know yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, exactly yeah. remember what was said. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, Dean said, uh, I'm hyperventilating. Yeah, right. I remember right. that. Oh, there's a funny story that I goes with that. that. I'll tell you the anecdote yeah, that yeah, goes with that, me. which is that, so the, all the Galaxy 500 records were produced by a really great eccentric producer named Kramer, who went by one name, before Seinfeld. In fact, I'm pretty sure Seinfeld stole. <laughs> right. Kramer, our, our Kramer, the producer Kramer, had a lot of friends who were comedy writers. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And he's friends with, still to this day with um, Penn Jillette of Penn & Teller. In any case, um, Kramer had a great production style, and a lot of it depended on uh, the element of surprise. Don't let the musicians know what they're about to do. Yeah, great production styles. <laughs> <laughs> it, it turned out great results. So, you know, we were rehearsing up here in Boston. We worked out this song that became oblivious. And, like, you know, we practiced it. And we would go in and we play it live. Put down the, the way we played shows in town. And we put it down. And then we got to do overdubs because this was, like, the big exciting thing of, of rec- being in a recording studio. Um, but we really, we were, when we, at least when we first started out, we really didn't know how to plan for that. We didn't have a lot of ideas for it, as we learned as we went along. But at the start, you know, Kramer had to kind of be like, well, let's add something to this. So with this song, he's like, well, why don't you play a harmonica? And we're like, we don't know how to play a harmonica. He's like, what do you mean? A harmonica's in one key. Your song's in one chord, basically. You know, so your song's in Just one key. Just blow. Just blow. And <laughs> or so, inhale, one or the other. Yeah, right? well, exactly. This is what he did. So he handed Dean the harmonica. It was just like, just go out there and play. No practice, no rehearsal, no plan. So what you hear Sounds is great. just Dean oh, that's him saying that. Just <laughs> like trying to play harmonica for the first time ever. That's and it, great. it actually takes a lot of breath. And if you're not understanding what that you're doing, wow. uh, you end up hyperventilating. That's a great story. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming in. Thanks for having us. This is WZBC, Free Association.